Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls. Today we are on Season 2, Episode 14, The Actor. This episode originally aired on January 17th of 1987. So what other interesting historical events occurred on January the 17th? Well, in 1871, the first cable car is patented by Andrew Smith Holliday. Uh, in 1893, Queen Lilu Kalani is deposed by an American coup, and the Kingdom of Hawaii becomes an independent republic. In 1920, uh, it's the first day that Prohibition comes into effect in the United States, the result of the ill-fated 18th Amendment. Uh, in 1987, United States President at the time, Ronald Reagan, signs an order permitting the sale of weapons to Iran and our most recent event, on January 17th of 2019, China executes Kai Dongja, the country's, quote, godfather of crystal meth. Okay. So that is our history lesson for the day. Wow. So what happened in this romantic edition of the Golden Girls? Not much happened in history. Okay. Not, no, not on this day, <clears throat> no, not that I could find, but... In this episode, a lot happens. Yes, sure. Uh, we begin this episode with a yellow taxi pulling into the driveway. Next, Dorothy comes into the living room from the bedroom hallway, and Sophia comes in from the front door. Dorothy asks her, why is she wearing a raincoat? It is 80 degrees outside. Sophia says she had a chill. Dorothy asks her if she is hiding a saber under her coat. Sophia says it is, and she will see Dorothy later and tries to leave. Dorothy asks her to take off her coat. She does, and she is wearing a pirate outfit. Yes, Dorothy asks her if she forgot to take her blood pressure medicine again. But no, Sophia has a job over at Captain Jack's Seafood Shanty because she needs money. Dorothy says she gives her money. And Sophia says, that is an allowance. Who does she look like, Dennis the Menace? Dorothy tells her she is 81 and working all day in a fast food place is way, way too much for her. And she absolutely forbids it. Boy, they discuss the possibility of Dorothy sending Sophia back to Shady Pines, a beautiful retirement village. And Sophia says that Morley Safer just wandered into Shady Pines by mistake. Yes. Sophia leaves and Blanche and Rose enter from the front door, saying they have great news. They want Dorothy to guess who they got to star in their production at the community theater. Dorothy says they go through this every year, and every year they end up with Miami's answer to Merle Streep, Phyllis Hammerow, and she stinks. Well, Rose thinks she was terrific last year in the Diary of Anne Frank. But Dorothy says that through the entire second act, the audience was yelling out that she was in the attic. Yes, that's not a very good thing to do. Blanche tells Dorothy that they got Patrick Vaughn star. Dorothy goes a bit crazy and says that he is her all-time favorite TV actor. Wow, Rose says he melts her Hagen dazs Whew, okay. 
Sophia comes back into the living room saying she will see them later as she has to go to work. She is still dressed in her pirate outfit. Dorothy once again forbids Sophia from leaving the house and Sophia says she is going to work and Dorothy says over her dead body. So Sophia says fine have it your way and pulls out her saber. Dorothy tells her to go as she is tired of arguing with her. Before Sophia leaves, Rose asks her if that is a Captain Jack's Sifu Chanty uniform she is wearing, and Sophia answers that she is off to discover the Strait of Magellan. Yo-ho! And Sophia leaves as that scene ends. We are now at the community playhouse. We see Blanche folding clothes or something as Rose enters the scene and asks Dorothy if this is a good bottle of champagne. Dorothy says it's hard to tell as the two for $7 sticker is covering the year of vintage. Blanche says she is sorry, but the welcoming committee is on a budget. There is a knock. It is Sophia. She had an hour to kill before work, so she thought she would swing by and meet Mr. Hollywood. Dorothy says she can't stay, and Sophia asks if it is because Dorothy is embarrassed by her mother, which Dorothy replies yes, when she is dressed like Vasco da Gama. Well, Patrick Vaughn enters the room and introduces himself. He kisses Dorothy's hand, and she is mostly unable to talk. Sophia says that is her daughter, an English teacher. Yes, Mr. Vaughn heads to Sophia and asks, and you are? Sophia replies with Linda Ronstadt. Yes, of course. He kisses her hand and says she, that she is doing the Pirates of Penzance, Pen, Penzance or something like that, across town. Dorothy has regained the ability to talk and really introduces Sophia to Patrick Vaughn and says that Sophia has to be going and tosses her out of the room. Blanche does the rest of the introductions and even reintroduces Dorothy. So Blanche says they are so glad he is doing this in their little theater. Mr. Vaughn says there are no small theaters, no small parts, and only small actors. Like Hervey Villachazzi, that was from Rose, and he says he was only speaking metaphorically. And Rose tells him to go on as that is such a beautiful language. Uh, the girls fight a little over who will show him around the theater, but he doesn't have time for that now, as he has another appointment in town with a director, with a different director, to discuss the nuances of his character. And Rose says she has heard about that. Isn't he playing a tangerine in a commercial? Well, yes, he is. So Blanche says that is so exciting. Has he ever played a fruit before? Uh, he responds that he hasn't, but having been in musical theater for 30 years, he has had his share of offers. He has to leave, and as he is leaving, Dorothy reminds him that casting is at 2 o'clock the next day, and he says that he trusts that all of them will be trying out for his leading lady. He leaves, and the scene ends. So we hear Mr. Vaughn speaking off screen as we see a bunch of ladies sitting in chairs. And Blanche and Rose are in the first row. Uh, we then see Dorothy and Mr. Vaughn doing a few lines from the play. 
Dorothy is done auditioning. Blanche is called out by the casting director. She stands and turns away from the camera, tells us just a moment, then takes off her sweater and her breasts have grown tremendously. Dorothy states that her rear tires have less pressure in them. And Blanche saunters up to Mr. Vaughn and says she is ready. Uh, they rehearse a few lines and then they get to this hugging part and Blanche's breasts release their air. As she leaves the stage with normal-sized breasts, Dorothy tells her that she made a complete fool of herself. She sits and the auditions are apparently over. Mr. Vaughn announces that they had to make some tough choices, but that everybody there is a star. He announces that playing the part of Josie will be Phyllis Amarow. The part of the sheriff will be played by Ronald Broomberg, and the rest of them will be non-speaking townspeople. That's a heck of a play when only a couple people get speaking parts. The girls are stunned and decide to leave. On the way out, Blanche tells the others that she will meet them at the car as she forgot her purse. She heads back to get it. She does get it. And Patrick notices her and says, Blanche. She replies with, yes, Judas. He thinks that she is mad because she didn't get the part. She says, of course. Was Phyllis really better than her? And he says, much better. But that Blanche is far more attractive. He says he has never done this before, but would she consider having dinner with him tonight? He tells her it must be their little secret as he is in the middle of a rather messy divorce, etc. Blanche says she is not naive to these things. She reads People magazine. So he says he will see her at 8 o'clock. As she is leaving and barely off the stage, um, Rose um, enters the stage and as she was entering the stage she yelled out Blanche's name and of course Blanche couldn't hear her for some reason but so Rose tells Mr. Vaughn that hers are real yes he goes through the same routine with Rose making a dinner dinner invitation that same night at 10 o'clock before Rose leaves they kiss and Rose says she isn't sure what he just did but he would make one heck of a yodeler so Rose leaves, and Dorothy enters from the opposite side of the stage. Dorothy yells out for both Rose and Blanche. Apparently, they parked this car about eight miles from the stage. Not quite the same routine, but he does ask Dorothy out for a date around midnight of the same night. The next scene, we see a yellow taxi pulling out of their driveway. Both Blanche and Patrick enter the front door and Patrick says it has been a wonderful week so he's been there a whole week now Blanche says their relationship is so special she doesn't know if she can keep it secret any longer he says they must and when the time is right he will rent a plane and ride it in the sky and Blanche wants to make a confession she has them sit on the couch she says she has never told this to another living soul, but she is not perfect. She says, look in her left eye. What does he see? He sees a little sleep crust in the corner. Uh, she says in the center, there is a slight flaw in her iris. Yeah, okay, that's how she is not perfect. Dorothy comes in the front door and is surprised to see Patrick and Blanche on the couch. Patrick asks her what 
is she doing there? Of course, she lives there. Patrick guesses correctly that they are roommates. Dorothy wants to know what is going on, and Blanche says that Patrick was kind enough to help Blanche rehearse her part in the play. Rehearse what? You're a non-speaking townsperson. Patrick says they added a stunt where Blanche gets tossed to the floor. Watch. So they perform this stunt, and Blanche says she thinks she is getting the hang of it. And she'll just go and practice it on the lawn. Okay. Dorothy wants to know what is really going on. Patrick says he just made out that flimsy excuse as he is really there to see Dorothy. But she is no idiot. Patrick just said he didn't know they were roommates. How could he be there to see her? And he skims out of it by saying that Blanche believed it. Uh, Dorothy falls for that. They begin hugging and a rattle at the door. So Patrick lets Dorothy fall to the floor this time. It is Rose and she asks, what is Patrick doing there? Dorothy is getting off the floor and Rose asks her, what is she doing there? And Dorothy says she dropped a contact. Well, Rose isn't falling for that. She knows that Dorothy doesn't wear contacts. So Patrick says it was his contact that she dropped. He gives a very fake story about contacts and cleaner and Rose believes it. Dorothy finds the lens and leaves to the kitchen or bathroom to clean the lens. Rose then tells Rose, Patrick then tells Rose that he made up that ridiculous explanation, hoping he would run into Rose. He asks her if she lives there too. Of course she does. He gives her a kiss, then says he has to go. He asks her if they are still on for tonight. Yes, with the same plan as last night. Rose says the plan. 10.45. Patrick will pull his car up behind the theater and leave the trunk open. And that is the entire plan. What a plan. He is leaving and Dorothy is coming from the bathroom and Blanche is entering from the kitchen and asks if he is leaving so soon. Dorothy and Blanche both say at the same time that they will see him tonight. They notice what they did then both at the theater, of course. Before he leaves, Dorothy tells him not to forget to put in his lens and he puts the fake lens in very convincingly and Dorothy says, God, he's good. So back at the community playhouse, Rose and Blanche are both looking for Patrick. Rose wants to give him a rose. Blanche takes it as she says it's bad luck for someone named Rose to give a rose on opening night. Yes, Patrick enters and Blanche gives him the rose and he says it is very thoughtful. Well, Rose would have given, given him a rose had her mother named her Violet. Mr. Vaughn is a bit confused from that, as most people would be. The casting director is wanting Mr. Vaughn, as there has been a casting change. Ronald Blomberg cannot play the sheriff. He has come down with the flu. Mr. Vaughn wants to know who can take over the part. Dorothy enters the scene dressed as the sheriff. The casting director says she is the only one in the cast that fits into the costume. And for my eyes, she doesn't seem to fit in the costume too well. But Patrick takes Dorothy away and says they need to practice her lines. Phyllis enters the scene and is told where Patrick is, but she says she has a rose to give to him. Yeah, Blanche takes it and says she will give it to him. But Phyllis takes it back and says he'd much rather get it from her. He has been getting it from her all week. Oh, boy. This is a surprise to Blanche and Rose. Phyllis says that Patrick swore her to secrecy, but she has to tell someone. They are in love. They've been seeing each other ever since he got into town. Okay, Phyllis leaves. Rose says Phyllis is such a liar. 
And Blanche agrees because since Patrick got into town, he's been seeing Blanche. But Rose says the same thing. They look at each other. Casting director comes out and says, places everyone. Rose and Blanche begin to exit to their places, but give each other one final strange look. Ah, now the play. Biff, as Patrick Vaughn, begins a monologue telling the audience about his story. It was 1952 in Wakahatchee, Mississippi. It was the town's 4th of July picnic. A harmonic player is playing, Oh, Susanna. The play continues. Then we hear Blanche and Rose calling each other backstabbers. The play continues. We cut to Blanche and Rose sitting at a table, and Blanche says that Patrick swore that she was the only woman in his life. And Rose says he told her the same thing. Blanche calls her a liar. Rose says that he said he was going to tell everybody about them. Rose tells her that he also said that when the time was right, he was going to rent a plane. And Blanche finishes the line because she's heard it before and write it in the sky. Blanche stands and yells out, You, sir, are a dirtbag. She sits back down and says it must be the heat. Dorothy is behind them in the bushes and asks them, what are they doing? Blanche and Rose tell her that he has been seeing them and Phyllis the past two weeks. Dorothy then yells out that he is a dirt bag. Dorothy tells them that he has been seeing her too. Blanche says he is slime. Dorothy says pond scum. Rose says flugenachin or something to that effect. What is that? It is a Scandinavian for someone who docks his boat in a handicapped slip. At least that's what Rose says. Blanche thinks he needs told off and gets up, but Dorothy tries to stop her. We cut to Biff telling Josie, yeah, that's Phyllis, that she is the only woman in his life. Now Blanche says, that's a sack of cold chestnuts, mister. Phyllis is the one that stands to protect Mr. Vaughn and says he slept with somebody other than her. Blanche says, of course, there was Blanche and Rose and the sheriff, Dorothy. Phyllis says, you slept with the sheriff? And Rose says, Lord knows how many other women he took advantage of. And then we get a long shot of the entire stage and many of the women are holding up their hands. Well, Blanche thinks it is time for a hanging. She needs a rope. But Patrick is trying to save himself by saying they, they all had a good time and ask for the people that had a good time to hold up their hands. Yes, and we also see Ed, the casting director, hold up his hand. And Patrick wants him to lower his hand, but Patrick says, what harm was there? Rose says he lied to them all, and Blanche calls him nothing but a low-down carpet-bagging scallywag. And as God is her witness, she will never shampoo his hair again. Ah, Dorothy comes in and tells him to get lost, Get out of their town right now. Yes, Patrick leaves. We hear the audience clapping and the people on the stage are surprised, but they take bows. The final scene, we see the three girls enter the living room through the front door. Dorothy says she feels like such a fool. Blanche agrees. Rose tells them not to worry. The audience had a good time and they even got their money back. Dorothy tells her that is not what they are talking about, you tip mouse. Dorothy was talking about Patrick and how they were all tricked by him. So Rose feels so common, so cheap, so used. Yes, she asked Blanche how she usually deals with that. 
Well, they discuss that maybe he wasn't so bad after all as this episode comes to a close. Well, there are a few cultural references made. Uh, firstly, to Dennis the Menace, uh, which is a daily newspaper comic strip. Uh, it was originally created, written, and illustrated by Hank Ketchum. Uh, it debuted on March 12th of 1951 in 16 newspapers uh, and is now distributed to at least 1,000 newspapers in 48 countries and in 19 languages. It usually runs for a single panel on weekdays and a full strip on Sundays. Somehow it became so successful that it was adapted into several television shows, both a live-action and animated show, and several feature films. Uh, so that is Dennis the Menace. Yes. Um, Morley Safer, I think we've covered before, uh, is a Canadian journalist, reporter, and correspondent for CBS News, best known for his tenure on 60 Minutes, uh, whose cast he joined in 1970 after its second year on television. Uh, and he received numerous awards throughout his 60-year career, uh, including 12 Emmys, a Lifetime Achievement Emmy, three Overseas Press Awards, three Peabody's, two Alfred I. DuPont Columbia University Awards, and the Paul White Award from the Radio Television News Directors Association. Uh, so that is uh, Morley Safer. Uh, Meryl Streep, of course, is an actress uh, particularly known for her versatility and accent work, uh, nominated for a record 21 Oscars, winning three. Uh, she has also received 31 Golden Globe nominations, winning eight, uh, which are more nominations and wins than any other actress in Golden Globe history. Has also won three Primetime Emmys, has been nominated for 15 uh, British Oscars and 17 SAG Awards, winning two of each. Uh, so that is her. Um, to do the Diary of Anne Frank, the play, as a stage adaptation of the book, The Diary of a Young Girl. It premiered at the Court Theater in 1955. It is a dramatization by, written by Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett. Uh, opened at the Court Theater on Broadway in October of 1955. Uh, the play received the Tony for Best Play. It was also nominated for Best Actress, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, and Best Director. Uh, it also received the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Uh, and also received the 1956 New York Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Play. Uh, it was revived in 1997 uh, in a new version, uh, which premiered in Boston at the Colonial Theater uh, in 1997. Uh, that revival of the play received two nominations, uh, the 1998 Tonys uh, for Best Revival of a Play and Best Featured Actress. It also received two Drama Desk nominations for Outstanding Featured Actor and Outstanding Featured Actress. 
Patrick Vaughn, uh, I thought was an actual actor, is what I thought they were going with. Uh, that is apparently not the case. Uh, so my later note uh, that I had written, of, uh, I did have a, an observation written here that was basically along the lines of, much like the Burt Reynolds episode, I don't really get their excitement over this dude. Like, you know, this is just another one of these has been lost to lost to the sands of time here. This guy's just faded away into irrelevancy, much like Burt Reynolds. But um, apparently he never existed in the first place, so that was not quite uh, accurate. So, I don't know. Anyway, um, Haagen-Dazs uh, is a American ice cream brand established by Reuben and Rose Mattis in the Bronx in 1961, starting with only three flavors, vanilla, chocolate, and coffee. Uh, it opened its first retail store in Brooklyn in November of 1976, and it now has franchises throughout the United States and many other countries around the world. It also produces ice cream bars, ice cream cakes, sorbet, frozen yogurt, and gelato. That is Haagen-Dazs brand ice cream. Uh, the Strait of Magellan, uh, also called the Straits of Magellan, is a navigable sea route in southern Chile separating mainland South America to the north and Tierra del Fuego to the south. It is the most important natural passage between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. The route is considered difficult to navigate due to frequent narrows and unpredictable winds and currents. Maritime piloting is now compulsory. No idea what that means. Uh, the strait is shorter and more sheltered than the Drake Passage, the often stormy open sea route around Cape Horn. Along with the narrow and sometimes treacherous Beagle Channel and the seasonal and historically treacherous Northwest Passage, these were the only sea routes between the Atlantic and Pacific until the construction of the Panama Canal. So that is the Strait of Magellan. Uh, Vasco da Gama, uh, the first Count of Vidigorera, uh, was a Portuguese explorer and the first European to reach India by sea. And his initial voyage to India, taking place between the years of 1497 and 1499, uh, was the first to link Europe and Asia by an ocean route connecting the Atlantic and the Indian Oceans and therefore the West and the Orient. Da Gama's discovery of the sea route to India was significant and opened the way for an age of global imperialism and for the Portuguese to establish a long-lasting colonial empire in Asia. Traveling the ocean route allowed the Portuguese to avoid sailing across the highly disputed Mediterranean and traversing the dangerous Arabian Peninsula. The sum of the distances covered in the outward and return voyages made this expedition the longest ocean voyage ever made until then, far longer than a full voyage around the world by way of the equator. After decades of sailors trying to reach the Indies with thousands of lives and dozens of vessels lost in shipwrecks and attack, Vasco da Gama landed in Cal Calicut on May 20th of, 19 of 1498. Unopposed access to the Indian spice routes boosted the economy of the Portuguese Empire, which was previously based along northern and coastal West Africa. The main spices at first obtained from Southeast Asia were pepper and cinnamon, but soon included other products, all new to Europe. Uh, Portugal maintained a commercial monopoly of these commodities for several decades. It was not until a century later that other European powers, namely the Dutch Republic and England, followed by France and Denmark, 
uh, were able to challenge Portugal's monopoly and naval supremacy in the Cape Route. Da Gama led two of the Portuguese India Armadas, the first and the fourth. The latter was the largest and deported, departed for India four years after his return from the first. For his contributions in 1524, da Gama was appointed governor of India with the title of voice, Viceroy and was ennobled as Count of Vidigorera in 1519. Uh, Vasco da Gama remains a leading figure in the history of exploration. Numerous homages have been made worldwide to celebrate his explorations and accomplishments. The Portuguese national epic poem As Luciadas was written in his honor by Camos, in 1580. His first trip to India is widely considered a milestone in world history as it marked the beginning of a sea-based phase of global multiculturalism. In March of 2016, thousands of artifacts and nautical remains were recovered from the wreck of the ship Esmeralda, one of da Gama's armada found off the coast of Oman. Uh, so that is Vasco da Gama. Uh, Linda Ronstadt is apparently a popular singer uh, known for singing in a wide range of genres, including rock, country, opera, and Latin music. Uh, she has earned 10, Gram 10 Grammys, okay, three American Music Awards, two Academy of Country Music Awards, an Emmy and an Alma Award. And many of her albums have been certified gold, platinum, or multi-platinum in the U.S. Uh, she has also earned nominations for a Tony and a Golden Globe. She was awarded the Latin Lifetime Achievement Award by the Latin Recording Academy in 2011 and the Grammy Lifetime Achievement in 2016. She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in April of 2014. Okay, then. Um, so that is who that is. Um, the Pirates of Penzance, or The Slave of Duty, is a comedic opera in two acts with music by Arthur Sullivan and libretto by W.S. Gilbert. Uh, the opera's official premiere was at the Fifth Avenue Theater in New York City on December 31st of 1879. The show was well-received by both audiences and critics. Its London debut was on April 3rd of 1880 at the Opera Comique, where it ran for 363 performances, having already been playing successfully for more than three months in New York. The story concerns Frederick, who having completed his 21st year, is released from his apprenticeship to a band of tender-hearted pirates. He meets Mabel, the daughter of Major General Stanley, and the two fall instantly in love. Frederick soon learns, however, and he was born on the 29th of February, and so technically he has a birthday only once each leap year. His indenture specified that he remain apprentice to the pirates until his 21st birthday, meaning that he must serve for another 63 years. Bound by his own sense of duty, Frederick's only solace is that Mabel agrees to wait for him faithfully. Uh, the Pirates of Penzance was the fifth Gilbert and Sullivan collaboration, and introduced the oft-parodied Major General's song. The opera was performed for over a century by the Doily Cart Opera Company in Britain and by many other opera companies and repertory companies worldwide. Modernized productions include Joseph Papp's 1981 Broadway production 
which ran for 787 performances, winning the Tony for Best Revival and the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Musical, spawning many imitations in a 1983 film adaptation. The Pirates of Penzance remains popular today, taking its place along with the Mikado and HMS Pinafore as one of the most frequently played Gilbert and Sullivan operas. Uh, Hervé Villechez, uh, or Hervé Jean-Pierre Villechez, uh, was a French actor and painter known primarily for his role as Nick Knack in the 1974 James Bond film The Man with the Golden Gun, as well as Mr. Rourke's assistant Tattoo on Fantasy Island. Uh, so that is him. Now, the play that they're performing here in this episode is, it's a, they don't really perform any play really here, uh, but <laughs> really? essentially they're doing a play called Pitnik, uh, which is a 1953 play written by William Inge. Uh, it was premiered at the Music Box Theater on Broadway in February of 1953, ran for 477 performances. Uh, Inge won the 1953 Pulitzer for the work, and uh, Joshua Logan, who directed the play, uh, received a Tony for Best Director that year. Now, Picnic was Paul Newman's Broadway debut. Uh, he campaigned heavily for the leading role of Hal, uh, but director Josh Logan did not think that he was large enough to convey the lead character's attributes. Now, uh, the play essentially here uh, is a, it's a pretty short one. And so it is Labor Day. Everyone is preparing for a neighborhood picnic. Hal Carter, a drifter, arrives in town looking for work, visits his college friend Alan, who is dating Madge Owens with the intent to marry her. Hal does odd jobs for the welcoming Helen Potts, her neighbor, Flo Owens, distrusts Hal, especially around her daughters, Madge and Millie. Since shy Millie does not have a date, neighbor Mrs. Potts suggests that Hal accompany her, much to the chagrin of Flo. Hal agrees, but he is much more interested in Madge, and it goes on and on like this for a while. Uh, but more or less, this is the closest thing uh, to an actual play that is performed in this episode, as far as I could tell. Uh, they bring up Judas again, who we talked about before. Uh, People Magazine uh, is an, a weekly magazine of celebrity and human interest stories. Uh, with a readership of 46.6 million adults, it has the largest audience of any American magazine. Uh, so that is People. Uh, oh, Susanna. Uh, is a minstrel song written by Stephen Foster. It was first published in 1848 and is among the most popular American songs ever written. Members of the Western Writers of America chose it as one of the top 100 Western songs of all time. Uh, so that is Oh Susanna. And it's not only one of Stephen Foster's best-known songs, but also one of the best-known American songs. Uh, no American song had sold more than 5,000 copies before O oh Susanna, which sold over 100,000. After its publication, it quickly became known as an unofficial theme of the 49ers, uh, with new lyrics about traveling to California with a wash pan on my knee. Uh, 
And that is that. Um, let's see, anything else? There's some, been some notable recordings of the song. Uh, a 1955 novelty recording of the song by the Singing Dogs reached number 22 on the Hot 100. Uh, a humorous recording of it was the last track on the Birds' Turn, Turn, Turn album. It was recorded by James Taylor, uh, The Big Three. Uh, Neil Young covered it as well uh, in 2012. Uh, and it was also recorded by The Be Good Tanyas in 2000. Don't know who they are. <laughs> okay. And then lastly, uh, Rose makes mention of Fluganotten, uh, which I googled, and that is another in the long line of made-up uh, Scandinavian terms from the show. Uh, so I have two fashion notes. Uh, the pirate outfit that the employees at Captain Jack's Seafood Shanty wear, at least Sophia's because we don't see anyone else's, uh, is a delightful look. Wonderful stuff there. And then Blanche is wearing her awful uh, green checkerboard dress again. She wears it to go meet Patrick Vaughn, and it is still a terrible look. Uh, we have three side characters. Uh, Patrick Vaughn is played by Lloyd Bachner, uh, who is most known for his work in projects such as The Naked Gun 2.5, Point Blank, The Lonely Lady, and Drums of Africa. Uh, so that is, he also voices um, Mayor Hill in Batman the Animated Series as well. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, the casting director is played by Frank Burney, most known for his work on projects such as Dave, The Practice, Charmed, and Critters 2, uh, who most recently... Uh, was in a few episodes of television last year. He was in one episode of Room 104, and one episode of Animal Kingdom, one episode of The Mick, and one episode of Arrested Development he was in. Uh, he played a character by the name of Sam in an episode. Uh, I don't think he's been in anything else that uh, I would know. Well, Eric Andre he's in, so... Um, and he, oh, he's in, he plays, uh, Judge William Howe on Boston Legal, uh, for three episodes. Mm. Uh, and then Phyllis is played by Janet Carroll, known for her work in projects such as Risky Business, Enough, Forces of Nature, and Family Business. Uh, so that is Phyllis. Phyllis. Uh, now, as far as a new sex partner goes, I wasn't certain uh, if we count Patrick Vaughn for any or all three or anything. I was not certain uh, if he counts at all in this episode. I could not tell from the dialogue. It was not explicitly mentioned as far as I could tell uh, that he was with anyone other than Phyllis, apparently. Uh, so I could not uh, gather from the dialogue myself watching this episode. So, okay, the one part mm -hmm. 
um, where Biff and Phyllis are there talking. Mm-hmm. And then Phyllis actually yells out that you slept with the sheriff. And the sheriff is, of course, uh, Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, okay, so they tell him off. Uh, Rose says, Flugen machina kakula. So they go, they cut to there. And on the play itself, yeah, uh, Biff is telling Josie that she is the only woman in his life. That's part of the play. And Blanche comes over and says, that's a sack of cold chestnuts, mister. And Phyllis is the one that stands. He And she says, did he sleep with someone other than her? Right, so we know Phyllis, but so she's Blanche not part says, of our counts. Well, Blanche says, of course. There was Blanche, there was Rose, and there's the sheriff. So Blanche says... All three of them. So, and then Phyllis yells out, "You slept with the sheriff." Okay, so it's all three of them. Like, we think, like, apparently she could believe that he slept with Blanche and Rose, but she couldn't believe that he slept with Dorothy. Okay, so we're going all three of them. I would say all three. Okay, so one new sex partner established, of course, Patrick Vaughn for Blanche, Dorothy, and Rose. So our tally now stands Blanche 25, Dorothy 6, Rose 5, Sophia still trailing far behind with the lonely one. Uh, that's all I have for this episode. And the next part, well, I'll just continue there. Rose says, you know, how many other women he took advantage of. Now, that doesn't mean sex, I guess. Uh, not necessarily but all those women on the uh, stage held up their hands now yeah i would say he he had those three anyway uh for me there were no kitchen scenes in this episode so nothing there and all of my counts not a single one was added to in this episode very rare nothing no counts added but i do have some you know, just general observations here. And I know this is just me, so, you know, people can, you can tell me I, I don't need to watch for this kind of stuff, but. Uh, okay. You know, to begin the episode, a taxi pulls in the driveway. Now, and then Sophia comes in the front door. Now, to me, that says the taxi brought Sophia home. See, to me. But then Sophia talks, you know, she takes off her raincoat, talks to Dorothy for a couple minutes. And then Sophia says she has to go to work. I mean, she was only there at the house for a couple minutes. So where was Sophia, you know, where did she come from in the taxi? Why is she, is she parading outside in her pirate outfit at the park? Or she didn't really come home and do anything. So to me, the taxi should have just taken her to work if she was at the park or if she was at work and comes home. <laughs> it just seems kind of strange there. But to continue on in that vein, in the middle of the episode, you know, the taxi comes back in and it drops off Blanche and Patrick. 
Now, maybe Patrick thought he was going to stay there and have a little fun with Blanche for a couple hours or something. I don't know. He seems to be quite busy from but the taxi leaves. Your, from our recent discussion there. Uh, yes. Well, Patrick leaves. You know, then he leaves without calling for a taxi or needing a taxi. I mean, way back then, maybe they had payphones on every corner that he could call a taxi. But uh, the taxi thing in this episode to me was just a little bit crazy. And yes, that is my last thing. I can't imagine, <laughs> I'm sorry, that Patrick could have kept all of these dalliances secret and that he would have had enough time and energy for all these in two weeks. I mean, my God. That's, that's the harder one would be the, the energy for it. Yeah, that'd be, the, that'd be the more challenging side of it, yeah. I, mean, I thought I mean, it was bad enough with just those three girls. But then when all them women raised their hands, it was like, mm -hmm. how did you have time to practice this play or anything? I mean, holy, you should be dead by now or something. I mean, come on. I need this guy's doctor or what pills he's taken or something. I mean, he's not a 25-year-old. He's He was 50 or so. Mm-hmm. No way would he have the energy. I can't imagine he'd have the time for them all either. I mean, just... They only had a week to practice this play. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, my. Well, anyway, I thought this was a pretty good episode. Uh, so I gave it a 79 out of 100. Well, I'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until the next episode, goodbye.